You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey, welcome back to Labor Relations Radio. So this is hopefully going to be a short episode. And what I'm going to do is give you a summary of things that are going on uh, that you need to be aware of. And it is happening now as we speak. And within a short period of time, whether it's a few weeks or a few months down the road, there's going to be a seismic shift in how employers are allowed to conduct themselves when a union is targeting their workforce. Now, if you're a laborunionnews.com subscriber and part of the, uh, you get the substacks that are sent out daily, you probably received a blast last night that went out entitled NLRB General Counsel Files Brief to Ban Captive Audience Meetings Install Backdoor Card Check. And so let me just give you the quick summary. Card check is coming and you will no longer be allowed to hold mandatory meetings with your employees to discuss unionization. That's the short version. Now, let me give you some background. What happened was Jennifer Abruzzo, the National Labor Relations Board General Counsel, who's been in in her seat for about nine to 12 months now, it's somewhere around June, I think she was uh, put in. She's been forecasting or putting out there that she's looking to ban captive audience meetings and impose something called the Joy Silk Doctrine. And this is uh, audio of her explaining what Joy Silk is to a a pro-labor group called More Perfect Union. And it was a video that was done, but I'm just going to give you the excerpt where Jennifer Abruzzo's talking about Joy Silk. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. (laughs) Ah, it's the wrong audio. Hang on a second. Let's see if we can get this right. When there's a case that's brought to me, I'm going to be asking the board to reconsider this uh, doctrine, which is Joy Silk. And basically what it said was, if a union provides evidence of majority support and seeks voluntary recognition and bargaining, and the employer has no good faith doubt that that union actually does have support of a majority of the workers in that particular unit, then the employer should voluntarily recognize and if the employer does not and engages in unfair labor practices or other egregious conduct merely to you know intimidate or interfere with the free choice of voters then the board will issue a bargaining order and say you're ordered to recognize and bargain with this union because you're just abusing our processes All right, so let's go back a little bit. Um, Jennifer Bruzzo has been in office for less than a year or in her role as uh, general counsel of the National Labor Relations Board for less than a year. Very early on, last August, forecasted or put out there for the public a memorandum that essentially goes to all of the National Labor Relations Board regional directors, submissions for advice. And in that uh, memorandum, she outlined a whole slew of things that she wanted to change with regard to the application of the law and how the National Labor Relations Board processes are. 
Among those things was this issue called Joy Silk. Joy Silk is a 1949 case that essentially says that if an if a union gets a majority of cards or authorizations signed by employees, it can demand recognition of the employer. And unless the employer has a good faith doubt to that majority status, the labor board will order bargaining or it would be a bargaining order at that point. So that has, that's been, uh, it basically got reversed or changed back in the early 1970s. And so since the 1970s, the standard practice has been secret ballot elections. Obviously, unions don't want employees to vote via secret ballot because it's much easier to sign them up and automatically unionize them. So Miss Abruzzo came out and said that she wanted to change that. And she's been looking for a case for that. Then last week, she came out with another memo saying that she wanted to ban what are called captive audience meetings, which are mandatory meetings where an employer can call employees into a a meeting room and educate them about unionization and all that sort of thing. So she wants them to be voluntary, not mandatory. And again, she needed a case to do that. Well, apparently she already had one because on Monday, her office filed a 93-page brief, which I'm sure it was being written well before last week's memo came out, but it was a 93-page brief in a case called CMEX Construction Materials Pacific. It was an election that took place back in 2019. The Teamsters lost the election, and then they filed objections, and it's been going through the processes at the National Labor Relations Board for a while now. So apparently, an administrative law judge ruled that the company did violate the law. However, they didn't violate the law to the um, severity of requiring what's called a bargaining order. It's called a Gissel bargaining order. So Ms. Abruzzo's office, as the prosecutor at the national level, took that case and said, aha, we can change the law by filing exceptions to the ALJ's decision the administrative law judge's decision, and they wrote this 93-page briefing. Now, there is a lot in that briefing, um, and what was sent out last night was just a summary of three main points to it, but I'm going to cover those three main points. I'm also going to put the entire briefing under the audio portion of this episode of Labor Relations Radio. So let's talk about those three things. Number one, um, in the briefing, the The GC, the General Counsel's Office, is urging the National Labor Relations Board to overturn a 1985 case called TriCast. In TriCast, the employer stated in an election that if the union, and I'm summarizing this, but if the union comes in, it will will eliminate our, our ability to deal directly with one another. That's not the actual quote, but that's the essence of it. So the GC's office wants to overturn that and basically, because there are some nuances to when employees become unionized, they no longer have the right to bargain with their employer over wages, hours, working conditions, but it does not mean they can't deal with them on specific issues. So I'm going to cover briefly the nuance. And by the way, folks, this is still evolving. I'm just kind of giving you a, a real quick overview. You're going to need to get legal advice as this stuff comes down the pike, and it likely will very shortly. So... Under the National Labor Relations Board, they have a guidebook called the Basic Guide to the National Labor Relations Act. And in that, it says under Section 9A, provides that an employee representative that has 
been designated or selected for the purposes of collective bargaining by the majority of the employees in a unit appropriate for such purposes shall be the exclusive representative of all employees in such unit for the purpose of collective bargaining. Okay, so once the employees are unionized, you have to go through the union. And further, it states, once a collective bargaining representatives, and I'm quoting here, once a collective bargaining representative has been designated or selected by its employees, it is illegal for an employer to bargain with individual employees, with a group of employees, or with another employee representative. Now, the general counsel's office would like to make it to be unlawful, or they'd like to make it unlawful, for an employer to tell employees that if unionized, they no longer have the right to deal directly with their employer. Under the law, unionized employees, and this is where it gets nuanced, um, they do have the right to present grievances to their employer, and they have the right to have such grievances adjusted without the intervention of the bargaining representative. However, there's limitations to that, and this is where it gets really nuanced. If workers are unionized, the company cannot deal directly with employees with regard to wages, hours, or working conditions. They cannot bypass the union, and this is where it gets key. However, employees can present, as I said, grievances to their employer and have such grievances adjusted provided, number one, the adjustment is not inconsistent with the terms of any collective bargaining agreement that is then in effect, or number two, the bargaining representative, which is the union in that case, has been given the opportunity to be present at such adjustment. So they can't just go in there willy-nilly alone without the union being there. So that's where it gets nuanced. In addition to that, and this is not discussed in the GC's memo, I'm just going to give you a little bit of factoid to put in your in the back of your mind as and when this comes up um, under most union constitutions they forbid members of the union from going around the union to deal with their employer directly so while the national labor relations board says that an employer can't say it, our relationship is going to change you can i would think lawfully explain to employees if you do unionize and if you become a member of the union you will be bound to the union's constitution. And if that union's constitution has a provision in there that prohibits members from actually dealing directly with their employer, you can point that out to employees. Now, that's the first part of the 93-page briefing I, th I thought was kind of interesting. The second part is the Joy Silk Doctrine, or AKA default card check, backdoor card check, whatever you want to call it. So, um, as I mentioned, in our August 12th mandatory submission to advice memorandum, we as labor relations pr uh, practitioners first became aware of the GC's desire to effectively eliminate secret ballot elections by using what's called the Joy Silk Doctrine. And as Fast Company noted earlier this year, if they do go to the Joy Silk Doctrine, it would, quote, make it more common for workers to form a union without an election, making voluntary recognition essentially the default, unless the employer has good reason to believe a majority of, it, of its workers do not want a union. In any case, so in the CMEX brief, the, the counsel for the general counsel, um, that's a, it's an individual who works for Jennifer Abruzzo, wrote, in Joy Silk, the board announced its, quote, good faith doubt test under which it would order an employer to recognize and bargain with the union where the union presented evidence of a card majority and the employer refused recognition but was unable to establish a good faith doubt as to 
the union's majority status. In determining whether the employer had refused recognition in good faith, the board considered all relevant circumstances, including any unlawful employer conduct, the sequence of events, and the time lapse between the refusal and the unlawful conduct. So that's on page 37. Then the CGC, or the Council for General Counsel, goes on to state, quote, Joy Silk balances employees' interest in access to the board's secret ballot election process with the right to select a representative through alternative means, such as through authorization cards, because, at most, it limits access to the election process to scenarios in which the employer acts in bad faith when presented with proof of majority status. That's on page 41. However, somewhat disingenuously, the CGC later states on page 41, the employees, quote, who wish later to disavow their union can simply file a decertification petition as, as there's nothing permanent in a bargaining order, end quote. Now, that's somewhat disingenuous because most labor practitioners, regardless of whether they're on the employer side or union side, know that decertifying a union is not simple. And if there's a contract in place, the NLRB bars decertification elections, excepting for a very narrow 30-day window towards the tail end of a contract. And that's called a contract bar doctrine. And again, you can find this, the National Labor Relations Board, you can just look it up. It's actually in their basic guide to the National Labor Relations Act, which you can download from the NLRB's website. Now, the other big thing that came out of the CMEX brief, again, 93 pages, so I'm giving you just a quick summary, is that they want to ban captive audience meetings or employer mandatory employer meetings. So what the CGC states in the brief, in the CMEX brief, is that, quote, mandatory meetings held by employers, including but not limited to those commonly referred to as captive audience meetings, in which employees are forced to listen to their employer's speech concerning their, their exercise of Section 7 rights, inherently involve a threat of reprisal to employees for exercising the protected right to refrain from listening to such speech. And there's a whole discussion about First Amendment rights and the ability to refrain from listening under the First Amendment as much as there is to speak, etc. She goes on to state, or the G, uh, CGC states, that the uh, NLRB should hold that, as a matter of law, reasonable employees will perceive an implicit, if not explicit, threat of reprisal for exercising the right to refrain from lis listening to their employer's speech concerning their exercise of Section 7 rights in two circumstances, when they are, one, convened on paid time, or two, cornered while performing their job duties. In both cases, employees constitute a captive audience. So the practice of having supervisors going out on the floor, talking to employees, all that sort of stuff, um, they're going to consider that a captive audience meeting. That's on page 47, by the way. Interestingly enough, the National Labor Relations Board or the uh, GC recommended some sort of prophylactic type of measure to ensure that employees know that there's a voluntary meeting going on versus a mandatory. And she kind of spells it out. And again, developing part of this law or uh, developing case. So if an employer convenes employees for a Section 7 meeting on paid time, it must satisfy the following requirements to make the meeting voluntary. First, the employer must explain the purpose of the meeting. Second, 
the employer must assure employees that A, that attendance is voluntary, B, that if they attend, they will be free to leave at any time, C, that non-attendance will not result in reprisals, including loss of pay if the meeting occurs during their regularly scheduled working hours, and D, that attendance will not result in rewards or benefits. If an employer announces a meeting in advance, it must reiterate the explanation and assurances set forth above at the start of the meeting. Finally, the meeting must occur in the context free from employer hostility to the exercise of Section 7 rights. And that's on page 59. Then she go, they go on further to state, if an employer corners employees to address them concerning their exercise of Section 7 rights, it must satisfy the following requirements to ensure that the meeting is voluntary. First, the employer must explain the purpose of the encounter. So if you have a supervisor on the floor, they must explain the purpose of their encounter. Second, the employer must ensure employees that A, that participation is voluntary, B, that non-participation will not result in reprisals, including loss of pay, and C, that participation will not result in rewards or benefits. So apparently a supervisor is going to have to explain all that before having a discussion with an employee on the floor. Furthermore, they go on, because employees cannot ordinarily choose to leave their work area, the employer must obtain affirmative consent to talk to the employees there and assure them that they may end up in the encounter at any time without loss of pay, either by leaving or by asking the employer to stop. Now, that is essentially, it, it, just to do that is going to be, can we have a conversation? Can I get you to sign off on this? You know, that there's not going to be any reprisals. It, how this is going to work out, we don't really know yet. This is, again, a briefing where, or a brief where the general counsel's office wants the National Labor Relations Board to decide on this at some point in the near future. So when it comes down, we don't know, uh, but you should expect, just because of the nature of the board right now, that you'll probably see card check as part of the uh, unionization process as opposed to secret ballot elections. You'll probably be banned from having mandatory meetings and you're not going to be able to explain how you no longer have a direct relationship with your employees. So that's a quick summary of a 93-page uh, brief that was sent out yesterday. Again, I'll put that under the audio portion of this episode of Labor Relations Radio. And that wraps up this episode. Have a great day. If you want to reach out, reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's at Workplace RPT. Give us a call at 888-668-6466. Oh, before I forget, if you like these episodes of Labor Relations Radio, do me a favor. Share them with your colleagues. I like having the interactions online, and I like having guests, and it's fun to um, give information to people who may not otherwise have it. In any case, once again, thanks for listening. Have a great day. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio.